Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, a pleasant good Monday morning, a beautiful day here in Hamilton, Ohio, in greater Cincinnati, lots of sunshine, big weekend, and we welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers, I'm Tom Brenneman, we come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, you can find us multiple ways, starting on YouTube, the Chatterbox Sports page, we always ask to flip on the notification switch, if you would, you can also join us on Facebook, Chatterbox Sports page. And we ask you to subscribe to the program. If you'd like to join us in podcast form, by all means, search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Before we get to the headlines, fellows, good morning. Ham and Eggers, Casey, Paul, Brandon. Morning. How are you, Tom? Lots of sunshine here today. Beautiful day. How was your weekend? Great weekend. How about you guys? Casey, how was your birthday? It was good. Um, I didn't end up going out to any bars, but I ate before going to the movies on Saturday and just hung out with some friends at the house and just had a good time. So. I heard that movie you were going to got shredded by the other uh, people that review it. Did you feel that way or no? Um, I just saw the headline. I didn't read the article. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. It wasn't uh what movie? Ant-Man. Oh, okay. Quantumania. All right. But it was uh yeah. Zah. So, yeah. uh, so that maybe they're right. Resounding review from Casey McAllister. I don't really put a lot of stock into those reviews on stuff, but I just saw the headline, and I knew you said you were going, so I wanted to ask you about it. Got to go to Rotten Tomatoes. See what the people think. Yeah. The it, people. It was just – it's what Marvel movies have been turning into. It was just meh. Okay. All right. Well, we begin with baseball today. That's right. Baseball. After pitchers and catchers reported this time last week, the full squad reports today for the Red Legs in Goodyear – Arizona. David Bell did make the comments yesterday. He expects both Joey Votto and Nick Senzel to miss the first few spring training games. Not any exact number. Both players, as you know, recovering from major injuries and in Votto's case, major shoulder surgery. Games begin this Saturday, believe it or not, against the Cleveland Guardians. Football news, former NFL head coach and ESPN commentator Rex Ryan has interviewed for the vacant Denver Broncos defensive coordinator's job. That's under new head coach Sean Payton. It's interesting to note, former Broncos head coach Vance Joseph is also a candidate. New Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gannon quickly hired his coordinators. Eagles linebackers coach Nick Rallis is a defensive coordinator. Cleveland quarterback coach Drew Petzing is the offensive coordinator. College Hoops UC got a nice win yesterday. It's the second time this season they knock off UCF. David DeJulius hit a layup with one second remaining in the Cats' 73-71 decision. Landers Nolly II led the way with 18 points. Winners in the top 25 yesterday included number two Houston, number three Purdue blasted Ohio State. The Buckeyes have lost eight straight games. And number 23, NC State beat rival North Carolina. Did I read Seth Davis say yesterday that North Carolina does not have a single quad one win this year? They do not one? They do not. They're 0-9, and if they don't make the tournament, which, to be quite honest, they wouldn't even be close to the tournament if their name wasn't North Carolina. So they are 0-9 in quad one games this year, and if they miss the tournament, they will be the first preseason number one team ever to miss the tournament. 
And right now, they are on the bubble because their name is North Carolina and they have a lot of talent. But they, resume-wise, shouldn't even be close. And we're still talking about them. So, Marty's got to be disappointed. Just a little. I think he's lost his mind, truth be told. Uh, We'll see him Wednesday. But he was over at our house and and, and ripping Carolina up one side and down the other. Uh, On Saturday, your Xavier Musketeers, Paul, bounced back nicely from that two-game losing streak. They wrecked DePaul. It was no contest, 82-68. Yeah, it was a good win. And again, it it was a lot bigger than that. Xavier was winning by 28 with about five minutes left. They emptied the bench. I was surprised they did empty the bench because there is a margin of (coughs) – sorry, I need some Pawnee water – there was a uh, there is a margin of victory component to the computer ranking, so I was a little surprised. Sean kind of talked about that after that he was frustrated that the last few minutes it got down to fourteen, but uh, so it goes. Yeah, it was a nice win, especially after they beat DePaul or uh, lost to DePaul in Chicago yeah. last month. Jack Nungy, by the way, had a double double in that game: eighteen points, ten rebounds. He's a nice player. Uh, next up for X is Villanova. That is tomorrow night at the Centos Center. Villanova was hammered, by the way, on Saturday against Providence and is 14 up, 14 down on the year. Kentucky, uh-oh, <laughs> Cal, got it going on. I mean, go figure that bunch. I mean, they've had so many ugly losses this year, including some really bad home losses. But there's something about Tennessee that brings out the best in the Wildcats. For the second time this season, they dominate the 10th-ranked Volunteers, this time at Rupp. 66-54, Cal. Yeah. I, they're they're going to be in. Yeah. I they're th- going to be in. I think so. They're right on the cut line now. I would say they're in Dayton right now. They, that win definitely helped. They have four quad one wins now. Two of them are over Tennessee. So, uh, But like, I, like I've been saying the last week and a half, they have all the opportunity in front of them. They have all the opportunity. They got two road quad one games left. They got one left at, at Rupp. Got to avoid that landmine. They got Vanderbilt. Sitting out there at quad three. Can't lose that game. But I would say this game puts them back on the right side of the bubble for sure. And if you're Kentucky right now, Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio tweeted out yesterday. It's like, just avoid Dayton. Just avoid the first four and then see what happens. And and this is the right step in doing that. Then there was Kansas. I mean, did you watch that game? I know Brandon did. Lost a lot of money on that game. <laughs> they get out. They, 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 they're getting killed. I mean, they're getting embarrassed at home by number nine Baylor. But then the second half, Kansas outscores Baylor 55-26 to 26 in an 87-71 Big 12 showdown. Now, Kansas, no rest for the weary. They go to number 22 TCU tonight, and the Horn Frogs finally got everybody back. They've had a bunch of guys injured, played over the weekend, and put up 100 points in a route of Oklahoma State. That is the biggest game of the night. On the pro side, NBA All-Star game played yesterday in Salt Lake. A lot of defense in that one. Oh, yeah. So much defense. A lot of defense in that one. Team Giannis led by Jason Tatum's All-Star game record 55 points. Beat Team LeBron 184 to 175. But that was not the talk of the All-Star weekend. The man everybody's still talking about, your good friend, Paul, Max McClung, formerly of Georgetown. I mean, this guy was like a, an internet sensation coming out of high school. Yeah. Did he save the NBA dunk competition? <laughs> Did he save it? I don't know if he saved it, but it was great to, to see him. I, yeah, I remember watching Mac from 
all the way back years and years and years ago, uh, back when he first came on the scene, probably six, seven, eight years ago when he was first kind of his, his mixtapes and everything were starting to pop up on the internet. Then he went to Georgetown, then he transferred to Texas Tech. He's been all over the place. And I'm glad they let him in because he's not in the NBA. Right. He's, a, he's on a – I think he's on a two-way contract. He's been in the G League. I think he's only played in like two NBA games ever. And I'm glad that they recognized they needed him in this and he was able to give it some juice. Let's take a look at a couple of these real quick. Yeah, I've got every every dunk here. So okay, let just... let's check it out. I'm worried about the guy holding the other guy. Some boy, he going to go down. It's like a, it's impressive. Tapping the backboards and underrated. Look at this right here. Uh, oh. That's unbelievable. Forget jumping over a human being. And he's he's not not that tall. That's the other thing too. He's, a, yeah, he's, he's like got six the hops. Two or six three, right? yeah, that's what he's listed at. Is six two. I mean, yeah. I'm 6'3". I remember walking by him in layup lines when Georgetown was there warming up. I'll tell you one thing right now. Primary source research, he was not 6'2". I mean, dude's unbelievable. I remember just watching him bounce around. I did a Xavier Georgetown game a couple of years ago when he was still there. Yeah. And I mean, just watching him in practice. Oh, yeah. And that's 540. That's the last one. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Guy who's still trying to, you know, like you said, he's keeping the dream alive. Yeah. And now he'll forever be able to remember that. All right, else, what else we got going on here? Uh, we have. Uh, oh, we, we, you know, I, by the way, uh, I, I saw where on the Internet, within 12 hours of posting that video, there were 520 million views of that. Think about that. In 12 hours, 520. 120 million views. It's unbelievable. Uh, final round of the Genesis Open at the Riviera Country Club out in L.A. was a great one. Big-time names, big-time players. John Rahm wins for the third time already this season. A two-shot win over hometown favorite Max Homa. And speaking of comeback stories, it was a great story in racing yesterday. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who had not won in five years, and was barely hanging on to his 14-year career, won the Daytona 500 in something called double overtime. 212 laps was the longest in Daytona 500 history. Were you guys dialed in on that? Well, if you were listening to Not Too Picky, Mike Schmaltz had Stenhouse plus 3,000. Wow. Plus 3,000 was one of his picks. Yeah, Ricky. Uh, no, I did not see any of it. I was, I was busy during it, but I did see at the very end when he won, and I... Shot Mike a quick text and said, hey, you got Ricky. Came through. Yeah, good for him. Been a while. Been a while. You know, a couple of uh, interesting notes uh, in baseball. Before we get to Bill Michaels, Bill Michaels uh, hosts the Bill Michaels Show. It's all over the state of Wisconsin and points in between all the way to New York, to L.A. Uh, anything going on in the state of Wisconsin, he's all over it. Uh, hosts a Packers pregame and postgame show. We're going to talk with him at length about Aaron Rodgers. Is Aaron Rodgers leaving Green Bay? Been a lot of talk about that. Uh, right now, he's on a darkness retreat. Would you want? Would you go on one of those, Tom? Why not? For four days. For four days. Why, why, why not? 
You never know. You might be enlightened beyond description. You never know. I mean, I, 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 it's just hard to fathom being in a dark room for four days straight. I don't know if I could do it. I feel like I could do two or three hours with a good nap. <laughs> I think I could do it for a day. But. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about that. And, you know, there's so much talk about this, you know, this potential. That's more than potential, I guess. Uh, quarterback carousel, because you, you know guys that are out there that are going to be with different teams. We don't know about Rodgers. been a lot of talk about the Jets, a little bit of talk about the Raiders because of the Devontae Adams uh, connection. But we know that Jimmy Garoppolo is out there. We know that Derek Carr is out there. Apparently, Mike Florio is reporting this morning. A lot of people thought that Daniel Jones, who, by the way, just fired his agent and now has a new agent in contract negotiations, contract negotiations with the Giants. Some people were thinking, he, you know, maybe $30 million a year for Daniel Jones. Takes him to the playoffs this year. Mike Florio reporting this morning that now Jones is looking for somewhere around $40, $45 million for Daniel Jones. What? Well, he deserves it. What? He deserves it? If you've been listening to me all season, you know he deserves it. Oh, my God. Should I stick up for my guy somewhere? Wait, he want, he's asking for 45 Daniel, or his agent was? Well, he... I, that I couldn't tell you. That I don't know. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot for Danny. He's getting a little overaggressive, right? Overvaluing himself, maybe just a little bit. I mean, come A little on. bit, Danny. Come Let's on. come on back down to earth. He, and then there's the whole talk that continues to be about Lamar Jackson. Uh, apparently, there are a lot of people, and Brian Billick talked about this right you know, near the end of the season that he wasn't buying for a second that there was a possibility the Ravens could franchise tag him and then trade him. But apparently, that's gaining some steam right now, that people believe that they're out there looking for three number one draft picks or a couple of number one draft picks and sign Jackson to a, you know, a, a big deal, trade him away. Man, I mean... Casey, you'd be happy. I mean, what I, I, if they signed him and then traded him away, I don't think I'd actually like that because oh, no. because it gives the Ravens ammunition and they've been killing the draft. I mean, they've always been able to kill the draft, and you're just giving more ammunition. And I'm not. I, I feel like I can compete with the Ravens if they have Lamar Jackson. Is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like if they sign him to a, a big contract, they're just strapping themselves for the future. So, yeah, that that's a that would be crazy though if he gets traded. I mean, we've seen Russell Wilson get traded for a, a litany of picks. I can't imagine what Lamar Jackson at his age, with his accolades. Say, we got to get somebody on from down in Miami because uh, there's been talk that if, if Jackson is indeed signed, traded, Miami might be a destination. Tua has already said he's coming back. Now, a trade for player for player or something like I that? I don't know. I, I don't know. But I'm just saying as far as just the Tua thing standalone, him coming back and playing, I mean – all the concussions, uh, all the injuries, but the concussions right at the very top of the list. Um, if you're Miami, you taking that chance? I mean, it, it's got to be a huge liability risk. Yeah. It's got to be, right? I agree with that. 
I mean, it's got to be really tough for an organization to allow someone to come back that you know has a extreme head injury history like that. Um, Just with all the scares. I mean, I I don't know if uh, it's possible, but maybe they can buy out his contract and just tell him that he needs to retire or something like that. I don't know if that's a thing or – what well they can't tell him to retire but they can just say here's whatever we owe you and 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 god bless yeah which would be a lot it'd be a lot for it was a first first round contract and a top five pick at that it's got to be a lot of money at least but it's not the big 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 money yet it's not not yet where you know herbert's going mahomes is already there rogers is there russell wilson is there burrow's gonna be there uh, they haven't hit that contract yet. That second or first contract after the rookie contract. Right. And really, I think the only option, if they didn't want to keep keep him around and they are willing to trade for Lamar, is to trade 2 away to another quarterback-needy team. It's just, I don't know if you can get what you would necessarily have paid for him. You know, it's a top five first-round pick, still on a rookie deal. And you're probably not even going to get a first-round pick for him because of the, the – I hate to say it. I can't think of anything else but the damaged That's goods right. That's right. It's, it's, it's nothing inappropriate it's just, about that. It yeah. is what it is. It's just really tough. I don't, I don't know what – in that situation when he – I know he wants to play. I don't know what team will take him, though, because it's just – I think the – in my opinion, I think Miami's just kind of stuck with what they got for now, and they just got to ride out with Tua for a while. Um, but you know, I think the first time he gets hurt again, or there's any sort of like near injury, like he gets sacked and rocks his head a little bit on the turf, it's going to be a, you're going to hear the whole NFL gasp. That's all I got to say about that. Just not a very good situation. No, it's a tough spot to be in. And we'll get into some of these other quarterbacks um, uh, and the whole situation a little bit later on in the program. We'll also hear some comments made by Sean Miller after their game the other night, the other day, late in the afternoon against DePaul. Uh, Some comments made by Wes Miller as his team still has, uh, what, three, four games left in the regular season. Everybody's down to about three or four games, right? Yeah, the AAC, it's it's crazy. We're less than two weeks away. The conference tournaments, mid-major conference tournaments, first round, February 28th. So we are eight days away from uh, – so this is the last full week of the regular season. Next week, you'll start to see some teams start playing conference tournaments. Yeah, last full week for the smaller – Smaller conferences. Yeah, for, yeah. I'm just the saying. The conferences call, have two full weeks. Yeah, left. I'm just saying, like, it, it, looking at this coming Saturday, this is the last Saturday that you can circle on a calendar and just sit there all day and watch regular season games. Next week, it'll already be in the conference tournaments. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we, uh, the other thing before before we get to Bill, you want me to do a, uh, I could do it here for today or I could do it for tomorrow to do a, uh, one of those tiers. I'd love to see it. Let's do it today. Do it today. I'll do it. Let's do, let's I'll do, do it, it today. Do After it. we get Bill Michaels on the air. Is he ready to go, sure. by the way? He is. He's he is. ready to go. One of our all-time favorite guys. I mean, you want to know what the heck's going on with the Green Bay Packers or the Brewers or Wisconsin football or anything else happening up there? Only one place to go, the Bill Michaels Show from 11 to 2 every day. Billy, good morning. Nice to see your smiling face, my friend. How's everything? You too. Yeah, I'm great. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing very, very well. Um, Got to ask you, it, I don't even know where to start. This whole Aaron Rodgers thing. 
Let's start with the darkness <laughs> retreat. Could you please shed some light, for lack of a better term, on what everybody in Wisconsin or the Packers are thinking about this? It, you know, it's funny because, Tom, we just got back from Super Bowl, and that question was number one. It didn't matter where I was. Anybody that knew we were from Wisconsin or I covered the Packers, that was the number one question. They'd walk over and say, hey, how you been? What's up with Rodgers? Um, there are all these reports floating around that the Packers are done, they're frustrated, but nothing is being substantiated by a source within the Packers. It just, it, the assumption is that it's just over and that Rodgers kind of went into this retreat, something that was scheduled a long time ago to contemplate not necessarily the future in Green Bay, but more so the future of moving on. I, I still live by the 60-30-10 motto. 60% of me says he wants to come back and play for the Packers. 30% says he plays somewhere else. And 10% of me says he retires uh, because he, I had a conversation with him years and years ago. He sat down and, and we were really good friends for a long period of time. And then he just kind of floated away like he has publicly to so many. But one of the things that he's always aspired to be, and that was the most decorated quarterback in Green Bay Packers Super Bowl modern era history. Remember, Bart Starr had two Super Bowls. Brett Favre only had one. He appeared in two, but didn't win two. Rodgers always wanted two Super Bowls, numerous MVPs, a lot of records. He wanted to have one of the best touchdown to franchise history. That second Super Bowl has been elusive. For a number of different reasons, he gets blamed for it as his record of one in five in NFC Championship games. But we all know that that is completely skewed by a number of things that have happened in the past. So I get the sense that legacy-wise, he wants to come back to Green Bay. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He He's talked about it. He's talked about Green Bay being his home. He sounded more upbeat this offseason than he has in the past. And I know that the relationship between him and Brian Gutekinds, the general manager, is extremely good. They're frustrated, but he's extremely good. But the, it, logically, it doesn't make sense because you traded up to get Jordan Love. The, you know, no first round draft choice has ever sat for four years waiting to start. And now you got to make a decision contractually on what you're going to do with Jordan Love. So I think logic would tell me that the end is now. But there is a part of me, I don't, I don't know if it's as a fan or if it's as I, the, the knowledge I have of Aaron Rodgers that I could be sitting here at training camp and he could be under center, but he is definitely a different cat to say the very least. You know, what, what do you think happened with him, Bill? Cause I'm with you. I mean, I'd come in there and do a number of, uh, uh, of Packer games through the years. And, and he was always very friendly. He was always forthcoming. And then it seemed like it, he started to become for lack of a better term, a little bit more of a curmudgeon, and kind of out there, was unhappy with some of the decisions that were being made. I remember one game we came in there and helped me with a guy's name who played really well. He was a wide receiver, played really well in one playoff game. And then we come in the next year, and that day, uh, Rodgers is telling Troy Aikman and me that he really thinks this guy is, is not being utilized correctly and he should be a bigger part of the offense. After Rodgers walks out the door, Mike McCarthy walks in the door and says that guy's just been released. Well, I know that there's been a number of players like that, honestly. Uh, you, you go back to, it was the guy that ended up in Buffalo, uh, as a matter of fact. I know who you're talking about, but he ended up going to Buffalo. He got picked up by the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and he was, they actually, he liked one of the fullbacks as well, remember. Uh, he brought in Alan Lazard and talked about Alan Lazard being this incredible receiver that after Devontae was gone, that Alan Lazard was going to pick up the slack. And Alan Lazard is not 
he doesn't have anything dynamic. He's not dynamic speed. He doesn't leap extremely well. He doesn't have unbelievable hands. He's a very solid route runner. But you know as well as I do, if you're not on his level, if you're not in his mentality, if you're not in that state with him, then you're on the outside looking in. Tom, I've always said he's a great quarterback, and nobody needs to expound upon the word great. I think the word great is thrown around far too much. Great is is pre-qualified for Hall of Fame quarterbacks. He's a great quarterback. But when you have to tell everybody you're great and you're on a different plane, that's where things become separatist, where all of a sudden you're telling everybody, I'm on a different level than you are. It's like he doesn't have to come in for training camp because Cobb will coach him up. Because he said, you know, publicly, he said, I'm level 200. And what these guys are learning is 101. When I get there, they should be on my level. You know, that just doesn't work in today's day and age. Yeah. And you've got guys that are in there making two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars busting their butt. And the guy that's making 50 million really doesn't want to come in because you're not on his level yet. There's guys in that locker room that took a lot of offense to that. And, and he just doesn't care. And when you say what happened to him, go back. And I don't know the personal life, you know, when it comes to the dating and the different, you know, Hollywood starlets and stuff that he he was with. But I remember when his brother Jordan, uh, we were in Phoenix, I think it was 2014, 2000, yeah, 2014 for the Super Bowl. And his brother Jordan was with us. And this is before he did The Bachelor and then kind of all the family secrets got revealed. But Jordan was with us at the time and talking about Aaron and about how great he admired his brother, basically, because Jordan was playing in the Canadian Football League. And Aaron took offense to it. And it, he's like, how dare you talk about me outside of the family? And we're like, whoa, wait a minute. There was nothing there that was derogatory. I mean, nothing. It was all praise. It was a lot of, you know, this is what I think of my... And then he took offense to Jordan kind of riding his coattails for fame. And it was just a weird dynamic. It, it, was, it was a very weird training camp that year. And it's been that way ever since. He's been very distant to a lot of different people. He likes the media because he likes the tete-a-tete. But he doesn't like them questioning him. And what really kind of did him in was the vaccination versus immunization when he kind of misled everybody and then went kind of rogue. And it doesn't matter what you agree or disagree about the vaccination process. It was his the way he presented it as if, how dare you question me on what I'm doing when he actually put his team in a very precarious position because of it. So that's when things became incredibly contentious and things began to really, really separate here in the last couple of years. All right, let me ask you this, because here in Cincinnati, uh, the Bengals, uh, everybody believes, uh, are right now preparing to sign Joe Burrow uh, to what could be the most lucrative contract in NFL history. Could be. Uh, but, of course, when you do something like that, and it's a right move to make for Burrow, franchise guy, back-to-back -back AFC championship games, one Super Bowl in his three years as a starter, the other year he got hurt. Um, but then the, the, you know, the dominoes fall on who you can bring back and can't bring back. Did the Rodgers contract prevent the Packers from signing Devontae Adams? Uh, no. Uh, to answer your question very emphatically, no. They actually offered Devontae more money to stay. What happened with that contract, it was getting from point A to point B. Because remember, the year prior to Devontae leaving, he wanted a contract. The problem was the Packers didn't know what Aaron was going to do. So they never talked to Devontae. And Devontae kept saying, hey, wait, I, you know, it's like chicken or egg. Which is more important? I'm just as important as Aaron because I'm the guy that he's throwing to anywhere from 10 to 17 to 20 times a game. So he at least wanted the respect of them talking to him. 
But the whole the, those two summers were spent coddling Aaron Rodgers. Bringing, I mean, somebody had said going back to 2020 and 2021, the training camps were like these welcome back reunions for Aaron Rodgers. It wasn't about the team and getting ready for the season. This was all about making sure Aaron was happy. And in the meantime, guys like Devontae were getting upset. So when Devontae called Aaron last offseason and said, hey, you know, I, I want to know what's going on because Devontae wants to get into the Hall of Fame and he's got to figure out where his numbers are going to come from. Now, obviously, he made a very poor calculated mistake when he went to you know Las Vegas because Derek Carr has been blown out of there. But he said at one point in his exit interview that I want to go from one Hall of Famer to the next because I want the yellow jacket as well. And then he stopped short when it got to Jordan Love. And he said, well, Jordan's a good guy, but and then he went off on a different uh, on a different tangent. So I, I think they would have signed him. They offered him just as much, if not more money. But I think at that point in time, Devontae had it. He's like, look, you won't deal with me because the quarterback has become such a diva. And you're letting everybody else just kind of linger and hang and treating him like he's the best player. And we're all a team. And Devontae just had enough. And so I think had they offered him that amount of money the year prior, that he'd still be a Green Bay Packer without a doubt. But he just wanted to have Aaron Rodgers be, be up front with him and tell him what was going on. Remember, Rodgers was officiating the left tackle David Bakhtiari's wedding with a lot of the other guys, Randall Cobb and a lot of these other guys that he hangs out with on the team out in Hawaii for their their wedding. But Devontae wasn't invited to that. Devontae wasn't a part of that inner circle. He was just merely a guy he played with and, and kind of rode every now and then to, to practice back and forth with. But Devontae was on the outside looking in, and he had just finally had enough and said, look, if you're not going to give me the answers I want, you're not going to come to me and treat me with respect, I'm out of here. So they, they, they spent a lot of time treating Aaron with respect. In the meantime, you got other guys kind of falling by the wayside. All right, well, then let me ask you this. If it's not Devontae Adams, uh, by signing Rodgers, because the concern with everybody around here is, and it's the first time they've hit this kind of situation. I mean, Andy Dalton made good money, but Andy Dalton's not Joe Burrow. Okay, right. I mean, oh, Andy Dalton, you put in the same – I mean, uh, Joe Burrow, you put in the same conversation with Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and, and those kind of guys out there. For Bengals fans that are worried about how much that contract's going to affect what you can do and who you can bring in and who you got to let walk out the door, was there an adverse effect in terms of that kind of scenario with the Packers after the Rodgers deal? Yeah, there is. And, and remember – Patrick Mahomes just won the Super Bowl for the first time. I go back to when Steve Young last won it. He was the last quarterback to make 13.5% or less of the team's total payroll. That was the highest number in NFL history until this year when Patrick Mahomes won it, making 17.5% of the team's total payroll. So when you think about that in the mass number, that means quarterbacks, while you can make a lot of money, if you take it all, you're going to leave, there's going to be guys on the outside looking in. You're not going to be signing Jamar Chase. You're not going to be signing your tight ends. You're not going to be signing your left tackles. You're not going to have additional money to go out and get depth for your offensive line. So if you have a lot of injuries, suddenly you're back to square one when it comes to getting beat up in the postseason. So you can still field a really good football team, but the overall depth of that football team 
becomes less. And in that sense, if you have one or two areas in which they're weak, we all know you're only as good as the weakest link on your football team. That can ultimately bring you down. And we've seen that time and again for the Packers. When Rodgers really started making good money, they didn't really sign a lot of guys for special teams and they get beat by San Francisco. Then a couple of years prior, they didn't upgrade the tight end position. Mercedes Lewis, you know, fumbles against San Fran. They ended up getting beat. You got uh, the running back depth position. Uh, Aaron Jones goes down with an injury. They never recovered from that against Tampa Bay when they ended up losing in the NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field. It's those little things that you don't realize along the way that you need to spend money on. And when you can't spend that money and you don't have that depth of money, you your quarterback better, better be able to carry you. Now, I will say this, Joe Burrow over, say, a guy like LeVar Jackson, when, or even when Justin Fields comes up or some of these other running quarterbacks, I will pay a pocket passer that's a proven winner with a great mind and great technique over a runner any day of the week. As much as I like Jalen Hurts, he's a guy with another injury waiting to happen. And you look at a guy like Jackson, who's now missed numerous games over the last couple of seasons, I couldn't guarantee all that money. Joe Burrow is more of a pocket guy, and he's more of a prototypical NFL quarterback that I appreciate more. So I'm more apt to give him the money than I am to some of these other guys, because I know at least he's going to be the guy probably at the end of the season that's going to be standing on the field as opposed to the running quarterbacks. But just remember that magic number now is 17.5%, and any quarterback that makes more than that has not won a Super Bowl in the modern era. Fascinating. Um, last topic I want to ask you about, because it has a Cincinnati now to Wisconsin connection. A lot's being made about what Luke Fickle's got going on up there at Wisconsin. Oh. Uh, I mean, it, it, yeah. you know, this guy, um, and I'll be the first to admit, because I'm an Ohio State fan, when he took over, uh, at Ohio State for the one year as an interim after they fired Jim Tressel and everything went on with 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 Pryor and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, and they, for the first time in the history of Ohio State football, they were a sub 500 record. Irvin keeps him on as a defensive coordinator when he comes in. Now he comes down to Cincinnati, and what this guy did—it's truly mind-boggling. I mean, mm -hmm. it's mind-boggling what he did here, including an appearance in a college football playoff. They've got to be so excited at Wisconsin at what's gone on just in the last two or three months. It is – I can't even begin to tell you the adrenaline for Badger football. Uh, for the first time in a long time, there is a belief – that this team's gonna end up in a college football playoff. And I'm not talking about the ability to just go to the expanse of 12 in 2024. They're talking about the possibility of it this season. He's brought in numerous quarterbacks, which this you know this franchise, if you wanna call it this team, this, this school has been lacking for some, quite some time. They've had good ones, but they've never had great ones. The last great one they had was Russell Wilson. And he was a rent to own for one year. So they haven't had really good quarterbacks. Uh, the the outside play of wide receivers and such and safeties over the top, and it hasn't necessarily been there. And he's brought it in. But the one thing that he brought with him from Cincinnati that I admired, and just you you know me, I, I know still know a lot of people back there. When you talk to the guys at Elder and Moeller and Xavier and LaSalle, and you talk to Cleveland St. Ignatius, and you talk to these coaches, they're like, this guy was showing up at practice. He was showing up and looking at our guys. And you know what the hotbed is in Cincinnati and in that area for high school football to keep those guys in his backyard and convince them they can be stars in the smaller pond as opposed to going to Ohio State. Now he's not only taken that, but he's expanded it here. And now he's dipping down into Illinois trying to get some of the speed guys. He's staying here in Wisconsin to get a lot of these offensive linemen out of tremendous schools like Hubertus and Arrowhead and Kimberly and such. And he's keeping these guys here. Plus he's bringing guys in in the portal 
saying, look, if you want to be on the ground floor of something great, uh, let's do this. And he's been able to convince them of that. But the big thing that he did here was he came in and said, I can't have two people running my scouting department. I need 16 people running my scouting department. And that's what he's done. And they basically said, here's the money, do whatever it is you want to do. And we've seen early results in that. And this is the first time I can remember Maybe since the year that Brett Bielema matched up with Ohio State and both teams were going into Camp Randall at 7-0, this is the first time that people looked at this this program and said, wow, we really got a legitimate shot here. Well, I mean, you look at the way the Big Ten set up, and it's going to change when USC and UCLA come mm-hmm. in, obviously. But, right. I mean, when you look at the western side of the bracket, I mean, let's be honest about it. All the powers over on the east side with Ohio yep. State and Michigan and Penn State, th- th- there's no reason in the world because not only this fickle – you were talking about recruiting and his attention to detail where I think he's exceptional and maybe better than any of those other areas are the guys he hires around him and player development. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, because you, know, you, yep. you look at guys like Sauce Gardner, you know, who come in and they're at Cincinnati and they're a three-star, whatever the hell that stuff really means at the end of the day. Right. But then they coach him up, and the guy's a defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. They had yeah. a lot of those guys at Cincinnati. You know, you look at Alec Pierce. I mean, he's just some wide receiver, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he, you know he's playing well in Indianapolis. Uh, it seems to I, me I, the level of player he's going to get at Wisconsin uh, takes that to a whole different region now. I love the fact that he calls them unpolished rocks. And he, he, he talks, you know, it's not the diamond in the rough. He just says they're unpolished rocks. They're really solid people, solid players. They just need, need to be polished. And he takes a lot of pride in that. So I agree with you first and foremost about finding those guys to say, come here and work with us. And then to find the guys, the coaching staff around them to be able to say, okay, let's work with these guys and their positive traits. And then we'll polish up the rest of it. So completely agree with you there. The other aspect that I've heard from guys, and my producer does a Badger show every Thursday night and gets a lot of the different players on. So when asked about Luke Fickle, he is, you know, they say, look, he's all business. He's a fun guy. He's a funny guy, but he's all business. Where Paul Chris in the past, Paul's kind of soft-spoken, kind of like that big, lovable teddy bear. Luke Fickle is all business. And when they walk through the door, he's upfront and honest with every one of them. And they said, they'll say that to almost a fault. He'll, he will tell you exactly how it is. There's no holding back. There's no hiding anything. There's no agendas. This is what's going on. This is what I need you to do. And if you do this, this is what I promise you will happen. And he's followed through on everything. So the guys believe in him. But when the guys came through the door uh, for, you know, spring workouts or for, you know, winter workouts, the entire weight room was redone. And they said, new time, new era, new attitude. And they're like, wow. And they completely upgraded all the equipment. They, you know, new paint jobs, the whole thing, new flooring. And they're like, wow, it's, we've, we've gone from big time to really big time. Mm-hmm. And they feel like there's a different, you know, emphasis in the building for success. And so everything that Fickle has done uh, that he did in Cincinnati, that he brought with him here, you know, the whole 300 mile radius around, you know, Madison, he's just expanded that because that 300 miles touches the 300 miles that he had around Cincinnati. He still has those recruiting trails. Now he's going into Iowa. He's going up into Minnesota. So there's a lot of things there that he's done right. And these guys believe in him. And in, my assumption is until you fail or until you have a downside or they see a character flaw, they're going to run through a wall for this guy. And it's exciting football time right now here in Wisconsin. Well, Billy, we thank you as always for your time today. It's been great catching up with you. I'm glad you're doing well. You too. Keep on trucking, my friend. Great to see you, Billy. You too. We hope to see you maybe at a Reds game or something this year. That'd be great. Love to see you in person. Say hello again. All right, Michael's kind enough to join us uh, from the great state of Wisconsin.
I've always said the nicest people of any place I've ever been are in Wisconsin. I've said that for years. Now, how about, how about that Luke Fickle talk right there? I mean, that guy's got it going on already. It blew my mind how many people around here were saying, oh, you know, is he better off at Wisconsin than Cincinnati? I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, he, he's going to be the real deal in Wisconsin. He's going to turn that program around. I have no doubt in that. No doubt. Let it play out. You're not so sure. Oh, we'll see. Like. We'll see. I don't know. I, I'm willing. I, I, I want to see. Give it a couple years. I give it a couple years. I mean, he had a great recruiting class at UC. Had a fantastic. Had a had a generational class at UC. Got out at the right time. Went to the Big Ten. See what happens. I think everything from what I have heard. I, I know some people up at, and this is nothing that we didn't just hear. But I have heard a lot of the same things from some people I know that are, are pretty dialed in with the Wisconsin program that if I was a Wisconsin fan, I would have a lot of, a lot of confidence with Luke Fickle. People just don't understand, I think, a lot of times. A lot of people do understand. I don't mean to talk down in any form or fashion ever to anybody. But, you know, when you get to those Big Ten schools, and we were talking about this off the air a little while ago. Now, look, you know on the east side, as we talked about, I mean, Ohio State and Michigan, you know, whole different world. Penn State slightly below that. But for years and years and years, Wisconsin was right there. In fact, they were better than Michigan for a number of years and all the years Barry Alvarez was here. The money is a thing that I think a lot of people, uh, if you're not around a Big Ten program, the money is mind-boggling. Because, you know, you look at, for example, UC now going in the Big 12. They're going to get more money from a national television contract. They're going to get more money um, playing in bigger stadiums, better opponents, you know, all that kind of thing. B big exposure, right? But when you look at the Big 10, you've got a television contract with Fox. I mean, stupid money. You've got a television contract as a conference with ESPN. Stupid money. Now, all of a sudden, NBC, for the first time ever, is going to have a Big Ten package of some kind. Stupid money. But then the, the money that separates the Big Ten from everybody else except for the SEC is the amount of money they make off this Big Ten network. I mean, I think each school last year got $45 million just from the Big Ten Network. I mean, think about that kind of money rolling into your program. And it's all sports. I mean, Wisconsin, they're great at a lot of sports, right? right? I mean, they're great in hockey, men's and women's. They're great in, you know, they normally, they've been very, very good in basketball, a tournament team certainly every single year. But um, it's interesting to note, by the way, that Wisconsin does not have a baseball program. No. Hmm. That's strange. Very interesting to note. There, there are some big-time colleges that you kind of don't realize don't have baseball programs. It's, I think Wisconsin's the only one of the Big Ten that does not have Yeah, Big Ten's a pretty good baseball league, too. Um, it is? It's, it's decent. Okay. It's, it's, it's got a decent league. Okay. Yeah. All right. Not like it's not, you know, the SEC. Right. But it's right. decent. It's not the ACC, but decent. Yeah. Okay. Decent. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I want to take a break. I want to come back and, and bounce off you guys some of those things we just heard about Aaron Rodgers. And, and maybe about this quarterback carousel thing going on in the NFL because there's a lot of talk about it. 
Casey, no one follows this stuff more than you. Yeah. I mean, you're even watching quarterbacks like A.J. McCarron. <laughs> Is that USFL or XFL? That's XFL. Apparently, I saw some little clip, some piece of video. I guess when he came back and rallied his team, he was his kids were on the sideline or in the end zone, and he, yep. he was tearing up and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a really big deal for him to, yeah. to get that comeback win. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. He was a quarterback of that Bengals playoff game, game they should have won over the Steelers. I was standing there in the pouring rain with my, at the time, probably um, eight-year-old son. Pouring rain the whole game. Fumble inside the 10, and here comes Big Ben. Ugh. Here he comes, trotting out. Miami of Ohio guy, Big Ben Roethlisberger. You knew the second he stepped on the field, they were going to win the game. Yeah. Am I right about that, Casey? Yeah, just momentum. Momentum's a real thing. Yeah. No, but you knew. There are a lot of quarterbacks from other teams. I mean, we were all hoping it wasn't going to happen. I'm standing there just like some of you, whether you're watching it on TV or there in the pouring rain. The weather was just brutal. But, you know, there might be other guys that come trotting on the field, even, even today's guys. You know, Deshaun Watson comes out, maybe they can win. Lamar Jackson comes out, maybe they can win. Uh, you know, Justin Herbert comes out, maybe they can win. But when Big Ben stepped out there, you knew it was D-U-N. Done. Yeah. He was a, a good player, Big Ben. Good player. Yeah, he was a good player. Hall of Famer. He just had our number for a long time. But he had every momentum has changed inside the division. Momentum has changed to the Bengals now. Yes, it has. All right, Ham and Eggers, take it away. All right, thank you, Tom. Uh, all right, so we have a couple of things to get to here, Casey. Yep. Uh, first thing that we got to talk about is the where is it? Do, 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 do. We talked about the Bearcats buzzer beating win yesterday. I think Tom kind of undersold the Bearcats win yesterday, but we can get to that later. Yeah. Great win for UC. Their first quad one win of the season, second one under Wes Miller. Um, maybe we talk about that a little more when he comes back. But the Bearcats report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. There is also, right here in front of me, a new premium alkaline water. Uh, the lid is on tight. Pawnee, made in Hamilton, Ohio. Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also, quote, the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at pawneywater.com, that is P-A-H-H-N-I water.com, to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee water, get your coffee from UDF, bet with Betfred, and get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. Um, there have been some things in the chat. I'm trying to catch up on the chat see if there's anything here we haven't talked about anything i did finish that little tear maker so we'll throw the tear did we get the tear maker in? we don't have to do it now but yeah I got did it. you get it okay so we'll talk about that more in a minute um brian b had a question paul how do you feel about small you know what i'm gonna save that because tom tom may have a thought on that 
I don't know if he'll have a thought on the smaller conferences, but he may have a thought on the uh, conference tournaments. So I'll, I'll wait till Tom comes back for that. Uh, also, we'll talk about Nick Kirby. Nick Kirby joining Chatterbox Sports. Love it. Late night Reds host used to be late night Reds. Now Nick Kirby joining joining Chatterbox Sports. We'll talk about that more. We have the box lunch coming up after this show today. So that's that's where we're at. <laughs> Back to old times. Okay, uh, Tom, what do you want to talk about? Where do you want to take? I the- want you guys to tell me what you want to talk about. Well, we have we have a few things here. Okay. Um, we have UC's win yesterday, yeah. which was a, a great win. Yeah. Their first quad one win of the season. Okay. Second under West Miller. Uh, I oh, wait do a minute. Have... Didn't they beat UCF earlier this season? Yeah, but they weren't a quad one team at the time. No, no. The quad depends on if it's home or road. I got so you. So okay. it's, it's quad okay. two at home, quad okay. one at, on the road. Okay. Um, so uh, first one of the season. And their second one under West Miller. Great win. Kind of gutsy win without Victor Locken. Odio Guama played great. Kalua Zigpe played fantastic. Guama, especially like in the paint, around the rim, really asserted himself. Uh, we do have some post game from West Miller here. Uh, West said after the game, I'm super proud of David, talking about David DeJulius. He deserved to have that one go in the way he's worked at it and how invested he is. I know it, he took it really hard when he was in a similar situation at Tulane. He shouldn't because he's been terrific for us all year, but he took it hard. And the next thing, or the neat thing rather, is that he keeps coming back to work. He wanted the ball again in that same situation, and he made a big-time play. It was a tough runner. Floater from the free throw line and uh, got it to go two-tenths of a second before the buzzer. It's a real, real good win for UC, especially when you start to generate some momentum. And the other thing, too, is that you're fighting for a seed right now in the AAC tournament, and they're, right now they're the five seed because they have a uh, they lost to Temple, but they have another game against Temple on Wednesday, so you can split the season series. If you get that five seed, or uh, I think it's a five seed, I have to go back and look at the tournament. There's a chance you avoid Houston till the till the title game. Well, I thought so, I thought when you set up in a in a bracket. Now correct me if I'm wrong sure. here. I thought when you set up a bracket that the one and the four, right, yep. would stay on the same half of the bracket. Is the four and the five not in the same half of the bracket? Yeah, so um, the 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 one seed plays the eight seed. The four and five seed you'd play each other. Basically, you, yes, the four so five. So you'd, you'd be in Houston's half. The yes, if if UC dropped one more spot to six, you would avoid them. So that's where I'm kind of saying that. I see. If, okay. If if things didn't go so well for UC down the stretch and they dropped to sixth, the silver lining there is that maybe you avoid Houston until the final and. Houston gets tripped up along the way. Do so. they have any chance to get to the three? Do they have any chance to get to the three? I don't think so, but I'll check it right now. So right now, Cincinnati is nine and six. Memphis is ten and four. Uh, they're projected to finish a game behind Memphis at the three, but uh, Tulane's in the second spot. Memphis is in the third spot. Memphis has Houston one more time, but they also. Um, they also have Wichita State and SMU, but Cincinnati does play Memphis, so they will have a head-to-head there, um, which is uh, that's obviously a huge one. Cincinnati only has three games left: Temple, Memphis, SMU. So it's going to be almost it, impossible. It's, it almost it's possible, but but unlikely. They would have to beat Memphis. Yeah, they got to win out. They they got to they basically got to win out. They got to beat Memphis. 
Um, I, I do have my tier maker thing if you want to do that. All too. right, let's, let's get right to it. Um, this is uh, in place of during the football season, Casey's stink list. Yes. So this I, is I, now, now uh, where you believe to be, and please walk us through this. Yeah, so I made this off the cuff. This is not necessarily the same as Casey's stink list in the sense of like where I rank the teams. Like the final four, uh, the, these teams are not in order. This is not like. Alabama, I, I do think Alabama is the best team. I do think Houston so this is number isn't two team. as we go left to right. This yeah. isn't set up as this is the number one team, two no, team, the, three team. Th this is just a, a, a group of teams that I think can, you know, make the final four, make the second weekend, whatever. Okay. Uh, so I think the final four teams, final four caliber teams right now, as it stands today, if you were to say who, Paul, do you think is going to make the final four, okay. I'd have Alabama and Houston in there. I think Purdue is capable, but they have been shaky lately. I'm not going to be the person that sits here and picks against Purdue, but I I do th I too many. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen to Purdue. Everybody's going to pick against Purdue because they've lost like two or three games in the last couple of weeks. Yep. Everybody's going to pick against Purdue. It's going to be the cool thing to do. Whether I get burnt on it or not. I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be the person that picks against Purdue to make a, a deep run because they have too much talent in it. Will they? Will they win the national championship? No, I don't think so. I do think they get tripped up along the way somewhere. But um, then you have Kansas, who has I think 13 quad one wins on the season, um, 12 or 13. They're the only team in double digits. They've been fantastic. They are a true contender to go back to back. Uh, Texas been playing well when they play well. Arizona's kind of the same thing when they play really well when they're when their front court is on. Then you have these second weekend teams. I am really surprised as I look at this list. The one team that just jumps off the page to me that you don't have as a final four contender would be the UCLA Bruins. I don't think so. I they're off. I just can't trust these teams. With te like Tennessee and UCLA, I can't trust them as much as I can trust the teams that can score. And UCLA doesn't score at the rate that I like to trust to get to the to the Final Four. Now, the the other one that I will say that's up here uh, because I, I kind of whipped through this pretty quick. Uh, I would have Kansas State actually down in the pretender category. I didn't get a chance to change this before. Wow, I said they got it. another big win this weekend. I I would have Kansas State down there. Um, that uh, I, I don't feel as strongly about that as I feel as the four teams that are down there right now, but I do, I probably would have them maybe a tier. If there was like a tier between second weekend and bubble, maybe, maybe pretender is too strong, but like solid team that I don't think is going to make a, a huge run. I'd say Kansas state. Um, so you don't think Gonzaga is going to win two games nah, in the I, tournament? I, I don't, I, uh, they have the talent to, but they just haven't shown the consistency enough to do it. They go and they they score a hundred and whatever against LMU, you know, over the weekend. But how much? I just have no idea what to read into Gonzaga because this isn't a year like in 2021 where they were, you know, 38 and 0, 39 and 0 going in the national championship game, and then they lose. You knew that team was special. This team, we're doing the Drew Timmy thing again. I just. It's tough to read these these WCC teams, what they're going to be able to do in the tournament when they play in the WCC all year. And I'm not going to sit here and write off the WCC, but I just... Well, you are. I'm writing off these two teams this year because they are not... This is not the elite level Final Four Gonzaga team 
that we've seen in, in the last few years. Right, put that back up again. So, so I walk through. Where are my TCU Horned Frogs? Uh, they're, they're ahead of UCLA, second weekend. The graph, it was oh, I see. big, okay. big logo, okay. big logo. Right. So there, and then you have, you have uh, Big East teams. You have three of them. Four of them, actually. I Four of them, where am I? Oh, you got Creighton. In there. I got Creighton, Cre- UConn, Marquette, Xavier. UConn scares me. I could probably have UConn in the same category as Kansas State in that middle, like sec between second weekend and bubble, whatever we want to call that. But again, I was just trying to get this done pretty quick during the interview. I was, I was trying to get something up here. I'd probably actually have UConn and, and Kansas State in that middle tier. Um, the bubble tier. Yeah. Well, no, they're not bubble, but kind of the the will make the tournament. But let's see what their draw is before I say they're a second weekend team. Um, I do think that I, I like the thing I really like about Xavier Marquette and Creighton is how they score the ball. And Creighton's also versatile enough that they can win a grind you down game and they can win a high scoring game. Creighton's really good. They're probably going to win the Big East. Um, I like Creighton a lot. And again, second weekend teams here. I'm, I didn't rank them. It's not like Bale. I understand. I understand. It's not like I, the, the thing that jumps off the screen to me on this when you're you're just looking at college basketball and the thought of this being reality. It's very much a chance. Uh, of being reality is when you look at that list up there you have kentucky as we talked about a little while ago as a bubble team you have north carolina more than likely headed to the nit barring an uh acc championship which they're capable of winning the acc tournament championship there's no doubt about that you have villanova winners of two national championships in what the last six years yeah like that right and then not even on that list nowhere to be found for you believing, it's not to say that maybe you just forgot about it, is Duke. So, so here you have North Carolina, Kentucky, Villanova, and Duke. So Go ahead. What about Duke? Well, so I, I had to upload all these logos onto the tier maker, and Duke is the only logo that I didn't use because I couldn't figure out where to put them. They're not a bubble team. They're comfortably in. They're probably a six or seven seed. They're not a second weekend team. So maybe I'd put them in that same category and I didn't want to say they're a pretender because at no point this year were they ever really a contender. So I would say a, I'd say the pretenders are more of teams that we hear, have to hear a lot about that a lot of people are going to pick pretty far that I don't think are going to go as far as people think. Duke's just sort of eh. Like they're having a decent year. For if if Duke was you know a middle of the road Big Ten team, you'd think oh all right they're having a decent year, make the tournament, six or seven seed, win a game, anything after that's gravy. But because they're Duke. We, they get they get a little more attention, but no, I didn't put them in there. I, I just didn't think they fit in any in any spot in there. Um, West Virginia is in right now. Really? I, I, yeah, they're they're on the ten line. I wouldn't say they're safe, but they're in. They're in, and they're not going to go to Dayton. Now, if they again, this is as of today, they're not going to go to Dayton. They're in um, fighting Bob Huggins, but Tom fifteen were, and twelve. Yeah, they're, I would say they're in. I know they've stacked losses, but they have some good wins. Uh, Northwestern, I see a lot of people asking about Northwestern. They're in for me. They're, they're oh, yeah, they're very, definitely com- in. very comfortably in for me. Very comfortably in for me. Um, a team that I, if, if I had like a, a dark horse category up there, as somebody just pointed out in the chat, they would be in that because they're very capable of doing that and they're playing well at the right time. Um, Tom, I got a question. Somebody yes, had... sir. Wait, wait, wait. Before you ask me a question, I okay. want to ask you a question. Okay. 
Let's go. Everybody universally agrees, not even debatable. Big 12, best conference by far in the country. Sure. Okay, so here are the teams. Kansas, Texas, Baylor, Kansas State, Iowa State, TCU, and you're saying West Virginia. That's yes. seven lead pipe cinch yeah. they're in. All right, that only leaves three teams in the conference. Oklahoma State, 16 and 11. They're in. All right, so you're saying an eighth team is in. I think they get eight teams in. Uh, so you don't think Texas Tech makes it? No. 15 and 12. No. Winners of three in a row. Too many losses. Too well, many. They got, they, they, I mean, they're basically the same as, as Oklahoma. Too, sorry. Same too as West Virginia. Yes, you're right. The loss number is the same. Uh, loss to Ohio State's going to hurt them. The loss to Oklahoma's going to hurt them because the o- Oklahoma's the other team that didn't make it. Now, all of those losses are top 65 losses. But, uh, they, you know, they lost, what was it, eight games in a row. They, they lost okay. 10 of 12. So, uh, yeah, I just think Texas Tech is the odd one out there and Oklahoma. Okay. So, eight of the 10 are going to make it. Yeah. Okay, so what were you getting ready to ask me? So, I was getting ready to ask you, somebody in the chat asked, how do you feel about small conferences? Uh, how do you feel about small conference regular seasons being meaningless, a.k.a. you win the conference tournament or you're out? I have gone back and forth on this, whether the NCAA should accept the regular season champion because it means more, or, or should they accept the conference tournament champion? Good question. Personally, I know that this is coming from someone who covers the ma- a major conference, the Big East, so I don't have that same maybe necessarily tie to a mid-major conference. But I think it makes the sport so much more exciting when you have those four days in March that means so much for your team. Now, I know you work all year. You practice in the summer. You do two-a-days. You do all that stuff for three days, four days in March. I get that. But I think that for the health of the sport and the way the sport plays out, it's a lot better to have these teams that probably aren't going to win a game anyway in the tournament well, I think it all depends on which conference you're talking about. And, and, and there certainly is precedent for this. I always go back because I, I'm a graduate of a Mid-American Conference school. Yep. And I remember the four years that when I was uh, at Ohio University were the same four years that Ron Harper was at Miami. Oh. Okay. So in those four years, Ohio University won the regular season championship. And in those two years, lost the MAC championship to Miami in the tournament. Miami, two of those years, won the regular season and lost in the MAC conference tournament to Ohio University, right? There was no doubt that both of those teams should have been in the NCAA tournament. There's no doubt, right? And only one of them makes it more times than not out of the Mid-American Conference. Now, are there lesser conferences, you know, where Charleston and some of these teams yeah. are playing? Yeah, but, but I really feel like that the, the, they're especially the Mac, and then there might be one or two more, but especially the Mac, that they really get jobbed in favor of some of these conferences. I'm not going to say the Big 12, but let's just say the ACC. Let's just pick somebody. And let's just pick a team like Clemson. Let's just pull yeah. them out. Okay, they've had a good year, sitting in first place, right? You know, in the conference right now. Well, no, they're not right now. Well, I mean, but, last but week. Yes, when we yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. You know what yes, I'm saying. Yes, yes. I'm just saying at the end of the day, I really believe that more years than not, there are, without a doubt, 
two Mid-American Conference teams you should be getting in the, comp- the NCAA tournament in lieu of a sixth, a seventh, an eighth team from on any given year. It could be the Big East. It could be the ACC. It could be the Pac-12, somebody yeah. like that. Yeah, I don't I, – be, it would be tough for me to sell. Like, if you're looking at it right now, this year, if you're looking at, say, putting uh, – I'm trying to think of a team. Yeah, like, let's say – because Clemson's not going to make it. As of right now, Clemson would not be in the NCAA tournament. And quite honestly, I don't even know if they'd be close. Right. They're 19-8, and eight, but they've dropped four of the last five. I lost to Louisville now over the weekend. Probably, if if they weren't out already, definitely knocked them out of the NCAA tournament. Um, so would you rather have – a team like Clemson, who has four losses on the season to teams 197th or worse, or would you rather have one more of the Charleston, Florida Atlantic, one of those groups? Which team gives you a better chance to win a game in the tournament? You know, I, I always lean power conference, but there has been some push lately that, hey, maybe we we throw one of those Florida Atlantic type teams I just I don't know it's tough for me to say let's throw because uh, see what happens is a lot of not to interrupt but see what happens no. a lot of times is well and again let's just pick Ohio University because they've had a little bit of success here in the NCAA tournament over the last number of years right yeah. Win a game they upset Virginia blah 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 I would make you know when, when you look at their out of conference schedules we all know what happens here and look look in, 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 you know it is what it is but when you look at their out-of-conference schedules, a lot of those teams in the MAC, they're only going to get one or two shots to play one of the quote-unquote big boys, and every single time it's on the road. Yeah. Every single time. Whereas Clemson has a chance most years, maybe not this year because the ACC is a little down, but most years they have a dozen, if not more, opportunities over the course of a year to beat a quote-unquote big boy. Steal one of those, one or two of those, you get them at home, right? Yeah. Maybe you knock off Duke, maybe you knock off Carolina in years past. So that's the only shot they're getting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from, and that's where you get to the point then in the NCAA tournament where you get, it's the classic stat, where you get the five seeds that lose to the 12 seeds, and people always ask, why, why do so many five seeds lose to a 12 seed every year? Well, it's because... The 12 seed in the NCAA tournament, the 12 seeds are the best mid-major teams that didn't get an at-large bid because the 12 seed line is the first line of teams that won their conference tournaments, the teams that aren't the at-large teams. So then you start to say, okay, well, if these 12 teams keep consistently beating the fives, you get up, like I said, you know, like a VCU this year or a Dayton, like that. The A-10 winner will probably be a 12 seed this year, 12 or 13 seed. I'm going to tell you what right now. If Dayton is playing as well as they can play, which they haven't done a lot this year, but if they play to their potential, I wouldn't want to be a five seed playing Dayton. I wouldn't want to be a five seed playing VCU. Sure as hell wouldn't want to be a five seed playing Drake. But those aren't the catchy names. They're not the big names. They're now, not Nick, the fun Nick Kirby names. says a team like uh, Oral Roberts, 100% should be in. Yeah, and 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 I I do agree where you get these these smaller teams that go out and challenge themselves, and they show well against the bigger teams. But maybe they don't have the win, and then you get down and you get into the, all the metrics and everything else. And 
I think it would be fun if they did throw an extra team or two in there like a FAU. or a, And those teams will probably win their conference tournament and get in. But when you get start to get the bid stealers and then those teams get left out. Sometimes. All I know is this Cal's got it going on. I don't know. We'll see. Cal! <laughs> Cal. <laughs> you like Cal? You know, I never used to, but I have to say, I love the guy's enthusiasm and his fire and his passion and, you know, the whole nine yards. I understand there's a lot of, there's a lot going on down there at Kentucky right now. Huh. Inside the athletic the whole athletic world down there. I think there's some stuff going on down there that's not so great as far as relationships and things like that are concerned. Um, but look, you know, uh, it's still Kentucky. It's still Kentucky. Yeah. And you think right now they are sitting out a trip to Dayton. I think right now they're, they're, they're either in Dayton or they're the first team that's missing. They're on the 11 line right now. But again, it kind of goes back to all these teams. Look at North Carolina last year. They get in. They're not a great seed. Yep. And then they go and they make the, the the national championship game. I don't think Kentucky is a national championship contender. But Do they have the talent to be a national that's championship the thing. contender? They, they, yeah, they got the talent. Well, so does Carolina. And they stink. They got the, the – Kentucky absolutely has the players – I mean, but they're not playing at that level. They're not playing anywhere close to that level. They're not playing anywhere close. And I'm not even sure how much these wins over Tennessee matter. Tennessee can't score. I don't know what these wins over Tennessee means for Kentucky. Okay. But they're not bad. All right, let me ask you just one last question. What, what was this thing you posted on the internet over the weekend? Did, did CBS or somebody put up what they think right now the projections would look like, and you said Xavier was the final fourth seed in that? Yeah, so, I don't know, five years ago, maybe four or five years ago, CBS started going to the selection committee, and the chair of the selection committee, it is a real deal. Like, if the tournament it's just is... just like the college football playoff. They'll start it exactly at a certain right. point in time. And, okay. So the, so the selection committee goes, and they do a, a mock projection for the top... 16 teams in the NCAA tournament, all the four seeds in each region, protected seeds, as you say. And they uh, they project them out. And it's if the NCAA tournament started that day, here's what it would look like. So it gives teams an idea. Oh, we thought we were going to be there. We're not. Here's what we need to do the last two weeks. We are there. Like Xavier, number 16, they were the last four seed announced. Gives you an idea of, all right, well, if you're Xavier. Because the other thing, too, is if you're a top four seed, you get geographic priority. Xavier hasn't played in the NCAA tournament within a two-hour drive since 2007 anywhere in any round besides the first four that one year in Dayton, but that doesn't count. And in, in the actual rounds of the tournament, they haven't played within a two-hour drive, and Columbus is a host this year. So if you're Xavier, you know, you pick up some wins here down the stretch, maybe get up to that two or three line. Well, they're not going to get to the two, but maybe get to that three line gives you a better chance to go to Columbus on Friday and Sunday. So That'd we'll be see. nice, Musketeers up there in Columbus. We'll see. Yeah, that would be And I fantastic. assume they're playing that where the Blue Jackets play or where Ohio Nation, State plays? Nationwide, play? yeah. Where the Blue Jackets play. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because that's a big-time building where Ohio State plays, too. Well, that's a nice building. Schottenstein Center, is that yeah. what that's called? That's, that's I've never nice. been there. It's not really, really nice. I've never been to Ohio State's campus. Yeah. I've I mean, you know, Columbus, they, what they've done up there, I mean, the money is, is, is just insane. Although the one knock, you know, on Ohio State, and I, and I have to say this because I've seen it firsthand, not necessarily with my kids, because neither one applied there. 
But, I mean, what's going on up there as far as in-state students, and I mean really good in-state students. I'm talking 3.8, 3.9 grade point average, 31 ACT, even though a lot of these schools, it is criminal what's going on up at Ohio State for in-state students that can't get in. I mean, I can't tell you how many friends of my kids meet that criteria that I just laid out as an in-state student, 3.8, 39, 31, 32, ACT. They can get in Indiana, they can't get into Ohio State. They can get into Wisconsin, they can't get into Ohio State. And it, correct me if I'm wrong here, some of our tax dollars are going to these state schools. It is criminal what's going on up there. I mean, I got friends of mine that are Ohio State alumni. And they have thrown in the towel on Ohio State because their kids could not get into school there. Really? With that kind, I'm telling you, there cannot be, you know, in a lot of, a lot of states they have, and this is a great law. And look, we're, 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 we have way too many laws. But they, they, a lot of states have a great law where one of the reasons it's so hard to get in out of state to North Carolina or Virginia or Georgia or places like that that aren't Ivy League schools, public state universities, is because there is a mandated law that if you, Texas is the same thing. If you hit a certain level as an in-state high school student, grade point average, test score, you are automatically in on any state school that you apply to. You're automatically accepted. So what happens is their state school percentage is huge of, of students that go to school there. Look at North Carolina, look at Georgia, look at Virginia, okay? And then the out-of-state, you're lucky to get 4 and 5% that are applying that are getting in. Ohio State, okay, yes, the majority are still in-state students. But the out-of-state money, right? International money. And I know some Ohio State people, maybe you're one of them. I know there are a lot of them out there that have been really frustrated with what's going on up there in Columbus in terms of letting in-state students. I'm not talking charity cases here. I'm talking about legitimate kids who have worked their asses off in high school and can't get into the biggest state school in Ohio. And I'm an Ohio State fan. Anyway, I didn't yeah, need to go off on it's, No, it's it's crazy what the what the in-state versus the out-of-state. I mean, I remember, I remember going to Xavier. I remember that looking at the in-state tuition versus the out-of-state tuition after one of the scholarships I got, it was it was cheaper for me to go to Xavier than it was to go to an in-state school for in-state tuition. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody's complaining. I haven't heard. Let's put it that way. I mean, we know college costs have gone through the roof. I've not had a... And in fairness, a lot of friends of mine, they have enough money to send their kids to college. They're not taking a student loan. Yeah. I've not heard any of them complain about the tuition. I mean, Miami's incredibly reasonable. Ohio yeah. University, unbelievably so. Yeah. So we have a lot of great state schools. And then, you know, I mean, Indiana's very expensive, out of state. But you can get in with a 38 and a 32 grade point average or ACT. Yeah. You can get in. You can't get into Ohio State. I, I mean, I would, I would make the argument and maybe somebody out there could, could dispel this. I would make the argument, and look, I've had two kids now go through this whole process in the last four years. I would make the argument 
that Ohio State is the toughest in-state university to get into in the United States of America. More than North Carolina, mm. harder than Virginia, harder than the University of Texas. There's another one because of that law I was referring to of getting in out of state. University of Texas. And I'm talking about public now state universities here. Okay? I'm not talking about the private schools. But it is really tough to get in. And it's a shame because our tax dollars are helping fund. Are you talking about just for in-state students? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. For in-state students. I do. I think it's tough. And uh, Tomas, your friend, uh, said he knows that Georgia uses that. It's, it's exactly right. It's the same thing. They do the same thing down there, and it's why it's almost impossible to get in as a student out of state. And the SEC, Georgia's one of the few, including Vanderbilt. Georgia's one of the few that is really hard to get into out of state. I mean, you can get in Alabama, and you can get in Ole Miss, and Florida, you know, Florida's kind of tough. But uh, it's, boy, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. All right, um, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to get in, Casey, to your realm of expertise. You are our quarterback carousel guru. That's what yeah. they call Interesting him. article written in The Athletic today about where all these quarterbacks are going to end up. So we're talking specifically Aaron Rodgers. We're talking about um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, Lamar Jackson. And then we, I know we have some sound from uh, Sean Miller, right? We do. From over the weekend. Yep. We'll get to that. And uh, another fascinating article. I keep going back to The Athletic. These guys ought to give me a free uh, membership. I mean, good Lord. They should. But you know what? You got to give it up. I mean, I give it up to the guys who are really good. And they're just really good. They are. And they're able to have the space. And they don't have deadlines and all this stuff that, that the dying newspaper industry is. This, this is an unbelievable website for athletics. And they're able to get into with great depth. All of these different things going on in sports. And the coverage is amazing. Um, that's where I got the Luke Fickle stuff from today. That was an article today. Quarterback carousel thing. That was an article today. Uh, and there was a great article written by C. Trent Rosecrans about Joey Votto. Is this his last spring training as a member of the Cincinnati Reds? Joey doesn't think so. So, Ham and Eggers, take it away. Lots to cover coming up. Okay, run it. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great, trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Well, um, I know we already did the ad reads, so I'm going to talk about what I found interesting over the weekend, which not very many people probably cared to watch, but I watched just about every single XFL game over the weekend. You watched all of them? Uh, yeah, at least I watched half of the uh, the first game, watched most of the second game, watched all the the third game, and then caught a bit of the the, the fourth game over. The I saw my DC Defenders one. They did, they did. But here's the um, my thoughts on the XFL. I think there's some good, and there's also a lot of bad. Um, teams that didn't deserve to win were winning. <laughs> I'll just put it like that. Um, defenders. When were, you say 
when you say they didn't deserve to win, why did they not deserve to win? Um, mainly because of just efficiency. I would, I would say the efficiency is just not high enough for all the teams um, to justify them being the winners. Like, for example, the one game I watched completely from start to finish um, was St. Louis Battlehawks versus the Brahmas. And um, was watching AJ McCarron sling it, and he looked god awful for about I don't know 55 minutes of that game. Then the last five minutes of that game, he started really turning it up, and it was three to 15 uh, with like two minutes left. He drives down, scores a touchdown. Now XFL rules. You can go for one, two, or three points. I saw this highlight. Yeah, and so they convert on the three-pointer, right? Then there's no such thing as onside kicks. You can convert a fourth and 15, and if you do that, you continue to keep the ball, and you can just drive downfield. Now, the only caveat to that is you have to either be trailing or tied. So they were trailing, so they ended up going for it. And they convert, which I have the clip. Maybe I'll run it when Tom gets back. But they convert it, drive downfield, score a great touchdown. A.J. McCarron, he just was clutched the last two minutes of that game. I mean, it really did remind me of the playoff game without the self-destruction, of course. Yeah, that, yeah. The, that he did. The, the, one, the first touchdown that he threw was very similar, at least the way that it was – caught and the way that the position of the receiver was to AJ's touchdown where he goes up and he's pretty much uncovered except this time McCarron throws it to someone who's covered the guy comes jumps up high points the ball touchdown the second one he throws a dart in between three defenders the receiver catches it holds on to it on a, a hard hit wins the ball game but they didn't deserve to win that game I mean they were outplayed for like i said 55 minutes same thing with the dc defenders they were outplayed for pretty much the whole game uh the, the other team that i would like to think deserved to win um let me look at this again really quickly i can't remember off the top of my head i feel like it was the vipers um they deserved to win and they they ended up losing um it was just very strange. It was a very strange game. Huh. Uh, yeah, the Vipers deserved to win. Um, they they were dominating most of that game in the, the very first game of the weekend. And all, just all of a sudden, I mean, they, they just made one mistake. And the mistake was critical. I mean, the guy, the, the quarterback, was under pressure. He tries to throw the ball away. And throws it directly to the defensive tackle, and he just takes it to the house for a pick six. But, I want to get back to A.J. McCarron here for a Yeah. Uh, in 2021, he uh, was brought into to, to a one-year contract with Atlanta, and in a preseason game, he tears up his knee. Right? Second preseason game. So he missed all of last year. He started seven games, or played in seven, started three with the Bengals, all the way back in that playoff year of 2015. The next two years, he played in a total of four games with the Bengals. Went to Oakland, played in two. 
Houston in 19 played in two, started one. And then 2020 in Houston started two, backing up Deshaun Watson. He has not thrown a touchdown pass in an NFL game. Now, he's only played in, what, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten games since 2015. He's not thrown a touchdown pass in an NFL game. Now, I give the guy all the credit in the world. I admire him for keeping the dream alive. Yeah, I do too. Because that whole Kurt Warner story, which I was reminded of yesterday, he was the highlight of uh, our uh, church service yesterday, Kurt Warner's story, how he was stacking cans in a grocery store after coming out of Northern Iowa and was cut by the Green Bay Packers, right? Right. And then he keeps coming back, hears about the Arena League, continues to work out, you know. Then he finally gets a Rams sign him, first year in the league, wins the Super Bowl, he's the MVP. So there are comeback stories out there. And it was uh, fantastic. Um, it was just fantastic uh, to see McCarron out there and keeping the dream alive. We wish him well. Wish him well. All right, let's get to, though, the guys we know are playing in the National Football League and where they're going to end up. Casey, we heard from Bill Wills. I love the way he broke it down percentage-wise. Yeah. I love this. He's not saying, well, maybe, maybe. He's saying 60% Aaron Rodgers back with the Packers. He's saying 30% he's traded to another team. 10% after his darkness retreat, he walks into the sunlight and says, I'm done. I retire. Which of those three are you buying, if any? I'm buying the 60%. I think think Bill has a pretty good handle on the situation. I think the Packers are doing everything they can to keep the cap space manageable. They restructured Aaron Jones already. They've got a ton of other potential restructures. They've got like five guys with big contracts like Bakhtiari and Preston Smith, I think, is one of them. Uh, There's a couple other guys on that team that um, they could free up some some money if they really needed to get under or to to get uh, in a comfortable spot with the cap and keep Rodgers. yeah, and I just don't know. Here's the thing, too. What's interesting is the Jordan Love situation. I kind of forget about him from time to time, but that was a first-round pick, so he's got a first-round contract, and they got to decide whether or not they're going to give him a fifth-year option. And that's tough. I mean, you can't, you can't not see what you got there and – you know what I mean? Like, you can't give him a contract. No, I, I hear you, you because and... especially when you start thinking, and I loved how he broke it down about the percentage thing, that not since Steve Young, I mean, good Lord, Steve Young's been retired forever. Right. This year was the first year since Steve Young last won a Super Bowl with the 49ers, where the quarterback ate up more than 13% of the overall team payroll, Mahomes at 17%. If they keep Rodgers and you've got to give Love a bump in money, right? Right. I mean, can you imagine with that percentage just on two quarterbacks, look at their overall team payroll? Unsustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable. So I feel like they got to – they're going to have a situation at quarterback. I just don't know what they would prefer to do. I think the, the ideal situation for them is to find a trade partner for Jordan Love. If, if that's what it's coming down to at this point. 
but what you get for him, you're getting nothing for you're him. Getting nothing. Doesn't improve anything. So the they're in a really tough spot. I would hate to be a Packers fan. I hate to be Gutekinds right now. He's in a really bad spot. Um, what is the best case scenario for the Packers, and what's the best case scenario for Aaron Rodgers? I think for Aaron Rodgers, I th- I feel like he deserves to do what he wants. If he wants to stay, he should stay. If he wants to leave, he should leave. And the Packers should just let that happen because either way, it's giving him, it's giving the team resolution on what the answer is. If the Packers just go ahead and send him without him wanting to leave or like they try to get rid of him and he doesn't want to leave or they try to force him to retire when he doesn't retire, it's just going to be a really bad situation. Well, I, I think in a lot of ways it's already bad. I mean, you heard Bill. There are a lot of people around there that are just ready to wash their hands of Rodgers and he's kind of gone off the reservation a little bit. I always liked the guy. Like I said, when I uh, was doing a lot of Packer games through the years and go in there and talk to him and a chance to visit with him, he was great. But then all of a sudden, I'm not sure what happened. I know it was the family stuff or whatever it is. And now all of a sudden, you know, a little, little different setup. Um, very different setup. The other part of the Bill uh, Michaels conversation that was so interesting to me was, you know, the little things we don't think about as far as you can't keep when you pay the quarterback. Now, he said they offered him, you know, Devontae Adams, and that's, that's well documented. They offered Adams a lot of money to stay. But that, you know, he talked about, you know, the two or three guys maybe on special teams. Now, all of a sudden, you can't bring back. And then you go through the whole year and you field a really, really good team. But, you know, all of a sudden, you get beat with a punt return. You get beat with a kickoff return. Or maybe on defense, you have a couple guys get injured. Or on offensive line, and the Packers have had more than their share, just like the Bengals did this year. Bakhtiari and some of these guys that have gotten hurt on the offensive line. They had to let Corey Lindsley walk out the door as their center. Um, you know, th- this is the one thing that I don't think Bengals fans have thought much about. About when given Burrow the contract, and we all agree he deserves a contract, and there are different ways they can structure it and guaranteed, and when, when does the big hit happen? Is it two years, three years from now? All that kind of thing. I just find it hard to believe, Casey and Paul, that the Bengals are going to be able to keep Burrow, Higgins, and Chase and still field a team that can win a Super Bowl. Not this year, because this year they're okay. Chase is still on the rookie deal. You could tag Higgins. You could do whatever you want to do. So are you saying this is the last year of the window? No, I think they got two years. I think they got two of fielding a team where you don't start to see the cracks because of the money. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm saying three years from now, you still have Joe Burrow. Maybe you still have Chase. Maybe, you know, you you draft some guys. Free agent guy here or there like you did a Hayden Hurst. I think they can still be, like Kansas City, a really, really good team. But I think the next two years are the years you know for sure you're going to have them all before it starts to bite you. I I think that's fair. I would argue that I would argue that it really just depends on we got to see what the first contract what what that looks like first whoever it is if it's 
Burrow or T or, or Chase, which is probably going to be Burrow first. and then Yeah, it's going to be Burrow because they got to figure everything else after that. Yeah, and if once that's taken care of, I can give a more firm answer on what the outlook is going to be like. But I would argue that even after this year, they're going to have very difficult decisions with DJ Reader, with Awuzie, with Hilton. Trey Hendrickson, Hilton. And these guys are getting older. Tyler Boyd. They, they, yeah, Tyler Boyd. I would argue that this is... Jonah the, Williams. Yeah, I would argue that this is the year. And then after that, it's a lot of unknown. And they got to do a really good job this offseason to help supplement some of that talent that you may or may lose, may not lose next offseason. Because to me, DJ Reader is the heart and soul of the scheme. He is, the, he is what makes our defense able to stop the run at least up the middle, and our ends are able to, to, to corral it. Um, and then our back end is really solid when everyone's together. And as soon as you pluck out DJ Reader, our defense just gets torn to shreds. Well, so. I mean, you, in, uh, Paul, I mean, um, uh, Jay Morrison wrote today, we talked about last week, uh, Saturday, and Jay was with us, uh, last Friday, he focused on, you know, needs of a team and the draft. And he looked at the offensive side. Today, he wrote about the defensive side and said, without a doubt, the number one need, without a doubt, is in the secondary. Because right now, as we sit here today, Cam Taylor Britt got a couple starts at the end of the year. At say, uh, he was playing more corner, right, in a slot a lot, or on the edge, whatever it might be. They only have a total of four NFL starts combined of all the safeties they have on the roster right now with Bates, a free agent, Von Bell, a free agent. So, you know, you know, Awuzie is coming back, but it's an ACL. You know, Hilton's coming back a little bit older, right? Uh, you know, that Britt is coming back, but you know, you start going Dax Hill and some of these guys that have, and all of a sudden you want to win a championship with two safeties that are basically rookies. If you draft one and play the other one, Hill. Well, isn't that... I mean, maybe you can win. I don't know. Chiefs, I think, did it. Yeah, I think basically. the Chiefs just did it with yeah. uh, Cook and uh, McDuffie. Yeah, so, I mean, is it possible? It's possible. But yeah. um, there, there, there are a lot of things that are going to be. All right, shift gears now to uh, a lot of talk about um, Derek Carr. Yeah. I feel like it's a very interesting situation that he's in um declined being traded to the saints which is where i thought he was going to go well he declined just his no trade clause no not trade sure if clause. they were ever going to be able to get that deal done but that's what he decided yeah and now we're looking at him as a free agent i don't know if he'll get top dollar probably not um, he'll probably get something very close to what he had before, which is like the 37 million, 35 million range. I imagine maybe he gets less. That would be bad for him. But um, at least in the athletic article that you're you're mentioning, they think he's going to go to the Jets. I can see that. Um, I also think that there is a chance that he can go to two other teams that that are kind of dark horses for me. 
one of them being Tampa Bay, and the other one being Washington. And now Washington has already come out and said that they're going to continue to play with Sam Howell as their number one quarterback. But would you rather take someone that's a proven veteran that you can get on a semi-cheap veteran contract, or would you rather take your chances on a guy that's not proven, that lost the last game of the season on a game that didn't even matter? I don't know. I, For me, if I'm Washington, I take my chances with Carr. You got a good enough team around him. You got some good weapons, a decent enough defense to at least compete in the NFC East. Um, well, I look at, when I look at some of these quarterbacks, I say to myself, if I were them, where do I want to go? If all things being considered, uh, money is, is basically the same. I look at Tampa Bay. It's a defensive-oriented coach that's running the team. Yeah. Not an offensive guy. You just fired your offensive coordinator. Okay? You got a lot of weapons down there, no doubt about that. I mean, you got Godwin, you got Evans. I mean, they got, they got some talent now. Can't run the ball. Offensive line's a mess. Um, it was hurt. You but... look, yeah, you look at New Orleans. Defensive-minded coach. Again, um, I look at a team like Carolina if I'm Derek Carr, and I say, all right now, and everybody universally agrees, Frank Reich was probably the best off-season hire. This guy's a good coach, and he knows offense. He knows offense. Now, he had that rotating quarterback carousel thing going on there in Indy the last couple of years after, you know, Andrew Luck retired. But if I'm sitting there looking at these teams, Jets, Another defensive-minded head coach, yeah. right? Now, they got weapons. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you got Garrett Wilson and, you know, all these guys run around. Carolina's got some pretty good offensive weapons. Can yeah. catch a ball. So, I, I would look at those two teams. I would look at – I, I'd really be looking hard at Carolina if I were him. But maybe the Jets thing, they have a better chance to win. They have a championship level, they believe, defense. Um, they brought in Nathaniel Hackett to be the offensive coordinator. That's why a lot of people have sort of linked Aaron Rodgers to the Jets because of that relationship when Hackett was with um, Rodgers in Green Bay. And then there's Jimmy Garoppolo. All the guy does is win games. Jimmy G. Yeah, I mean. I, the Raiders. The Raiders? I don't know about that. I don't know if the Raiders are a good fit for him. It would definitely be uh... – Interesting to see him with all the weapons there. Well, but, and I mean, Josh McDaniels, remember now, he was the offensive coordinator in New England. Right. Where Garoppolo has spent, even to this day, a large portion of his career. I backing agree. up. Yeah, it, it makes sense. It would make sense for him to go to the Raiders. Um, I think, again, it makes more sense for him to go to a similar situation that he was in with San Francisco and go to a team that's more defensive sound. Yep. Someone that, you know... He's not. He's a game manager, and I think the perfect fit for him, I'm gonna actually say, is the Jets. And that, in that case, if we're going on my list versus the list on a, the Athletic, I'm pretty much just changing a few a few different places for these quarterbacks. I got Derek Carr, Tampa Bay, probably. I got Jimmy going to the Jets. That makes more sense for me in my mind. They're they're an up and coming offense with uh, Garrett Wilson. Um, 
they've got a, a sound running back. He tore his ACL, I think. Though. And they say uh, they, there's a lot of talk. The Jets are going to uh, are going to draft if they can. They're going to draft Jackson Smith and Jigba. Go get another weapon. Yeah. Uh, not coming not? to Cincinnati. It's looking more and more like he's not going to be around. I tell you, to me, I think he's the most fascinating guy in the whole draft. I thought he should have come back and played another year of college. But that's not me. You know, when you miss the whole year, the whole year. Now, Jamar Chase missed the whole year, but for a different reason. Right? Yeah, Yeah, he just wanted to sit out and not get hurt. Right. So, I mean, look, is it possible these guys come back and all that kind of thing? But, uh, you know, and they're talking about now, you know, he was like looking at late first round. Now, all of a sudden, a lot of the mock drafts have him moving up into the 18-19 range. And the Bengals are at 28. Um, that, that's a, uh, it's a roll of the dice, in my opinion, just because you don't know. Now, the combine, we're going to find out. It's hard to believe. I think the combine's next week. Next week? I thought it was in March. But I, I thought could... I read it was next week. I'll, I'll double check. Uh, yeah, it's February 28th. It's Okay, so it's, it's, it's a little up. over a week away. Right? Week It'll from be tomorrow. a week tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, you'll, excuse me, get a better idea where he is with the, with the hamstring and the groin, whichever one it was. It was one of those two uh, that kept him out. Got hurt in the very first quarter of the very first game against Notre Dame and was never right again. Um, okay. Let's shift gears for a minute, if we can, to your Xavier Musketeers, Paul. Sure. All right, let's hear some comments from Sean Miller after the game. You chose to give it a go again at X, to get the 20 wins, to be ascending in a lot of ways towards March. How meaningful is this for you personally to, to be here again and be in this spot? I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and I'm equally thrilled that we were able to win 20 games today. I, I, don't, I don't make light of winning 20 regular season games. It is not easy, especially in a conference like the Big East where we're playing 20 games, 10 at home, 10 on the road, against what I think is arguably the second best conference in the country. You know, certainly one of the top three conferences in college basketball. I mean, the depth of our conference, how hard it is to win on the road. And then in our case, when you take into consideration the non-conference schedule that we played, you know, that's why earlier in the day when you know, they put up the top 16 teams. You know, we're on that four line, and you're like, wow. Well, you forget the teams that we played as far back as November and all through December. So, you know, we've really not taken the easy path. We've taken the difficult path. And for us to be at that 20-win mark is great. And look, the hope in college basketball is that you're at your best as the month of March approaches. And that remains our goal. And getting healthy and, you know, getting a couple of these guys back, but also continuing to improve, you know, that's, that's really what we're trying to do. You know, Paul, we were talking earlier about uh, Luke Fickle and the impact he is making already. Hadn't even coached a single game. Hadn't even started spring practice yet. I think they practice start this week, uh, leading up or next week, leading up to the, the, the spring games for all those, you know, college football programs. But, you know, to take a step back, and when he starts talking about getting to 20 wins in a season, here he comes back uh, after leaving Arizona, second go-round with Xavier. You're around there every single day, virtually every single day. 
Let's take a step back, big picture, macro kind of look. The impact Miller has made on Xavier basketball since Travis Steele walked out and he walked in. Yeah, well, I mean, the easiest way to say it is how he has utilized the players that he has available because he had he, he had to make a decision last year, Tom. When he had the players that were making the run to win the NIT, Sean Miller had a decision to make. Did he want to roll the ball out there with the same guys that were winning the NIT and had missed the NCAA tournament four years in a row? Or did he want to go out there and build his own team from scratch and go to the transfer portal and do like what – Otzelberger did it, Iowa State two years before, and, and do all these things where you build your own program. Well, Sean decided, I'm going to take the guys that I have here and move forward with them. Colby, Jack, Jerome, all these guys, Kunkel. And he went out and he got a point guard. And that's the biggest thing to me in the difference here is that Sean has somebody that is running the team on the court. Because if you remember the last couple of years, Xavier didn't really have a true point yeah, guard. Paul Scruggs right. was not a yeah. true point guard. Yeah. And and that's where I have honestly wondered this year what Travis Steele's last couple of years would have looked like if he would have had somebody like Sule Boom. Because Travis was a guard-oriented coach. When he was an assistant coach, you think about the guards that he coached. Two Holloway, Jordan Crawford, Mark Lyons. Some of these huge names that have come through Xavier that have been guards all came through under Travis as the assistant coach because the assistant coaches take a position group. Travis was the guards. So I've wondered what that would have looked like had Travis been a head coach with a true point guard. But as far as it goes with Sean, him coming in, taking over this team, and taking basically the same team plus a point guard that they had last year, and turning that into a team that is now a protected seed in the NCAA tournament is unbelievable. It's it, I hate using the word unbelievable, but it's true. It really is because there, if you look back at the preseason and the projections for this team, I think any Xavier fan, anybody around this program would have been happy to even see him in the tournament. Get an eight seed. Sure. Get an eight seed, win that eight, nine game, give the one seed a run for their money. That's a good season. Now you're talking about a team that legitimately is a second weekend team if the offense is clicking. And that's huge. It, it's just huge the way that the turnaround happens so quickly, which it can now in college basketball because of the transfer portal. You go out and get Sule, boom, run the team. And go out there and, and transform the team as fast as you can. And I thought, and the reason I used this clip from the, from the press conference is it was clear how much 20 wins meant. Sure. Because they, they posted a picture afterwards. Edmund Sumner was back at the game. They posted a team picture from the locker room. They had cut out and printed 20s all over the locker room. And it just illustrated in my mind, because they hadn't won 20 regular season games since 2018 when Chris Mack was there. Won 23 last year. That was because of the NIT. So it illustrated to me the value what, of what 20 wins means in a conference like the Big East and how this team now has transformed the attitude of winning. And even going back, like I said the other day, I watched the Indiana game from back in the beginning of the season, the game that they lost. I rewatched that game and I thought to myself, man, they, they replay that game today, Xavier wins that game because they just know how to close out games better than they did back then. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it really is incredible how much a coach means to yep. a program. And, and as it relates like to Fickle at Wisconsin or any, or any of that, you can come in and with the same team, have these guys playing for a Big East title. It's crazy.
Yeah, and it's why you can't fool around with, uh, with a coach uh, for, for a long, long time and, and, and not get the result. Unfortunately, what's happening is a lot of these coaches' contracts is the buyout is so huge that you can't fire the guy. Yeah. I mean, in all sports. I mean, some of these college football buyouts of some of these programs is, is just unbelievable, the amount of money. Um, where, uh, you know, I mean, look, I'm not sitting here beating up Travis Steele, but I, I think we all knew after about how many years he there for? Four years. I mean, you, you knew after two. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And you can be the biggest Xavier fan in the world, and for whatever reason, and he's not the only reason, but it wasn't going to work. And Miller walks in the door with basically the same group of players, except for, boom, as you talked about. Yep. And, and you see the difference. That's a huge difference. And you see the difference it makes. And All right, we only got about – go ahead. You well, I was just going to make the last point as it relates to just to college sports on a whole. That's why I think college basketball now, you shouldn't be as scared to fire a coach as maybe you were five or six years ago. Because back, say, 2014, you wanted to fire your coach, you were scared to death that, that, co- that you were going to miss on the next hire or that it was going to reset the program or yep. whatever. You can hire a good coach now – and be competing for a second weekend that year because of the transfer portal, yep. which is basically free agency. No doubt. So all of these coaches that or all of these schools rather that you know were teetering on a buyout. Do we hire the right guy? Do we fire this guy? What do we do? You don't have to be scared anymore as long as you hire the right guy because in college sports, it's all about that. Well, and that's the one thing, Xavier, and I've said it before. Uh, I've said it 10, 10 million times. No school has done a better job. Travis Steele was the first miss, if you will. Yeah. Okay. First miss that they've ever had in the history of the program. Mind-boggling. Yep. The coaches they went out and hired. Um, now Miller's not going to count on this deal for the second time because he was already an established guy. It was the other guys who weren't there yet. You know, going back from the Bob Stacks, the Pete Gillens, the Skip Prossers, you know, on and on. Chris Mack. Yep. On and on and on and on. Uh, the last thing I want to get to here, and we got about 10 minutes left, and we're going to get to your guys' locks of the day. Hmm. Although all I hear about is you guys uh, whining about your losses. So I don't know how well we're doing on these locks of the day. We were 0 for 2 the first day. Well, and then we went 1, one and 1 the next day. Okay, so I'm we're 1 and 3. I'm 8 and 1 in my last nine college basketball Oh, so you're on a roll and, again. Well, see, but I'm just not. I started saving my money, didn't start betting on them, and then, of course, my pick started winning. So, yeah. I want to shift gears really quickly, and we're going to have all the time in the world throughout this baseball season to discuss this, but because it's timely. Joey Votto always has some very interesting things to say. Uh, smart guy, uh, you know, some depth to everything he has to say. And he was asked about all the criticism of the Reds franchise. And he said yesterday when he reported, we deserve it. We have to play better. A failure of ours to leave such a supportive fan base dissatisfied. We are aware of it. The cynicism is completely justified. Now that is refreshing as it gets. A guy who, who knows. I mean, he's not tone deaf. He knows what's going on with his franchise in his city that he has called home basically since 06, 07. Spent his entire career in the Reds organization. He's seen them have some good teams, more times than not, some not-so-good teams. I don't know if the fan base has ever been where it is right now, though, as far as its cynicism 
um, skepticism, uh, disenfranchised, whatever it might be. And Votto, Casey, you coming into the baseball world now officially here in 2023. Refreshing comments, I thought, by Votto. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it just... He was just saying the truth, honestly. You know, just... That's all it really boiled down to, right? Paul, you're okay with him coming out saying this, right? Sure. Because you're a big baseball sure. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always appreciate honesty. I always appreciate honesty. That's the thing, right? Anybody, when you want to come out here, you want to say something, you want to hear, you don't want to hear the cliches. You don't want to hear people talking down to you. You don't want to, you don't want to be made to feel dumb when there's an elephant in the room that everybody else knows. And that's why I appreciate comments like that. Now, this is the final year of that 10-year deal he signed in 2012. Um, we've asked Joey Votto on the program numerous times. He's politely declined. So whether we're ever going to hear from him on off the bench, I have no idea. I hope we do. We'd love to have him. Um, but there is a $20 million option on a contract next year there's a seven million dollar buyout if they decline the option so no matter what at the end of this year the Reds are gonna have to pay Joey Votto seven million dollars unless you know Votto goes to the team and says look I I know there's no way you're picking up a 20 million dollar option right and for me to leave and walk out the door it's going to cost seven why don't we just call my salary seven eight nine million if he wants to come back here and continue on with the Reds perhaps in a different sort of role I mean it's very clear that Tyler Stevenson is going to see more and more time at first base this year not nearly as much time behind the plate he'll also be primarily used it looks like uh, as a DH Votto will be the DH on a lot of days where Stevenson gets to start at first base do you guys think Paul I'll start with you do you believe this is Joey Votto's final year in a red uniform? No, I don't think so. I think he'll be back. Really? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I shouldn't say that is strong. That came off pretty strong. I, I just are – you, are you saying that his final year in a Reds uniform is in he would retire or that he would go somewhere else? No, I think he career? wants to continue to play because I think he believes if he can come back healthy from very serious injury. Uh, it started with his shoulder, it went into his biceps, uh, and had to have surgery on both. So it's a big deal. So surgery. maybe he goes somewhere and tries to win a ring? It's a good question. And he would deserve it. If anybody does, he'd deserve yeah. it yeah. playing a postseason. So maybe I shouldn't say that as emphatically because I would never fault somebody for going out there and trying to compete in the postseason when you've had a career with the Reds like you've had. It's been so good, but has – Similar to Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, just well. I mean, you look at you, but, but, but you're right. But you look at say Albert Pujols. Okay, now there's a guy who you know he got the huge contract, right? Yep. In Anaheim, um, and you know he knew it was coming to an end. He signed that contract the same year Votto did, um, and you know, that's where the Cardinals made the decision not to pay him. Reds made the decision to pay Votto, and it played out the way it played out. But um, you know, Pools went to a contender this year. Didn't work out. Dodgers didn't win the World Series. 
But he had his moments. He certainly was a big contributor to them playing deep into the postseason again. And maybe that's something Votto uh, would entertain. All right. You got our picks of the night, boys? Yeah. Casey, go first. Um, I am actually going to go with – I'm going with TCU, Tom. Oh, that's going, where I was going. I'm going you're going to make me pick something else? Yeah, I, I got to go with TCU at one and a half. I think it's at two. Well, are they right a now. favorite or a dog against Kansas? Favorite. They're favorites. In Fort Worth, Texas. It's in in Texas. That's the only reason I'm picking them is because it's in Texas. Hold on. Well, we mentioned, while Paul's looking it up, we mentioned TCU was rolling this year. I mean, they were rolling. And then all of a sudden, two of their starters, including their best player, Miles, their center, Eddie Lampkin, they went out. They lost like three out of five, something like that, with neither one of those guys playing. They both came back on Saturday, and they score 100 points. Now it's against Oklahoma State. Think what you will of Oklahoma State. Paul thinks Oklahoma State. Did you say, Paul, you think they're an NCAA team? Yeah, I think they're in. Okay. I think they're in. So they score 100 at home uh, against Oklahoma State, blow them out of the gym. And now it's Kansas tonight coming off their huge win. Trace Fowler was seen dancing in the streets of Hamilton uh, late Saturday um, after that win. So, Paul, did you find another one? Uh, yeah. Um, don't give me lukewarm. <laughs> if you don't have something you're sold on, I don't want to hear it. Don't watch. And you're the... allowed to pass today if you want to pass. Well, my pick was TCU. Okay. I was well, trying to just nice stay with TCU. TCU. All right, I'll stay. I just I was trying to just give some flavor to the. But you both get a TCU. win if you pick it. If you're right, and you both get a loss if you lose it. Right now, you two guys sit right. at one and three. All right. All right. Do we have a UDF? Uh, no, Uh-oh. we okay. do not have All a. Right. UDF. Well, that's our cherry on top. All right. Our cherry on top was Trace Fowler being seen in the streets of his hometown of Hamilton, Ohio, after that 55 to 26 second half explosion for his beloved Jayhawks. Hammering Baylor. What do you think tonight, though, Trace? I'm glad the Horn Frogs. I'm glad to to hear that. uh, I'm glad to hear the folks in here on TCU. So, what does that mean? That makes me feel really good about tonight. So you feel really good that Kansas is going to cover that and then some. Yes. Yeah. Reed, where are you on that game? On um, that one, I gotta, I gotta, gotta check uh, the the old the old <laughs> scores and odds first before I think. Anything I, about that. I just did. It's seventy percent on. Seventy percent of the bets are on Kansas. Eighty-five percent of the money's on TCU. Okay. Wow. So a little bit all over so. the place. So in your world. You would tend to lean more with the, what do you call them? Sharps. The Sharps So or the overall money? My take on that is that I think Kansas is a much better team than TCU, but they're underdogs, so I know they're on the road there. So it looks like Vegas might be confident in TCU winning at home there. So I don't know if I'm going to bet that game at all, but if T- I did. TCU also from a track record perspective, did lay the hammer on Kansas at, at Allen Fieldhouse, which typically doesn't happen. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, if you're the, I don't know. Public, that was the last public, good team they played right. with all their horses. Public Joe, if you want to call it that, it's going to get online tonight. They're going to go to ESPN.com. They're going to scroll down, look at the schedule. They're going to see that Kansas got beat by 25 at home. And they're just going to be like, oh, well, I'm definitely going to take TCU because they're, yeah. they're now at home versus being on the road. 
So I don't know. I, I mean, it'd probably be a good game, but I like the way Kansas is playing right now. So they're a good team. Yeah, they're I right. think that um, it'll it'll go well tonight. Yeah, in Fort Worth. We'll see. Our Muskies got a big win on Saturday. Huge win. We talked about it a lot today. I know. Probably way too much. Well, you keep saying. Although I love, I got to say, I, I mean, I love Sean Miller. I really do. I, I just think the guy is an unbelievable coach. I, I said to my dad the other day, I think he's a total big leaguer uh, when it comes to doing those halftime interviews. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. He lays it out there. He tells you exactly the way he sees the game. He's not mincing any words. Uh in a day and age where everybody is, you know, milk toast and vanilla and everything. Cal's pretty good too now. Yeah. Cal! I like Cal. That's your guy. Cal's like got him. it going on. I'm glad he That's turned That's a team around. to watch, boys. That's a team to watch. Tom, can you imagine being like a seven? Sitting in Hamiltucky, I can say that. Right, Trace? You, I, it's up to Reed. Reed will let you. I don't uh, take offense to that. I, I, do you I don't. you take offense to that? Absolutely. 100%. I was in the local little coffee shop down here, and I, go, yeah. I stopped there every morning, right at the gas station down across the street from the church over here, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And I have had 15 people over the last couple of months. Hey, man, love it. I've had up here in Hamiltucky. See, they're from Hamilton, though. You're, we're allowed to say that amongst... <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Right. All right, this is teaching Tom. That's fair. Right. That's, I don't know why anybody would take offense to that anyway. What's a big deal? It's a derogatory term that I, we've, I don't use we've it tried that way. To, we have tried to take claim in in Hamilton. I've, I've, I don't take... I don't, I don't feel that way, but I can understand how people... I do, yes, but I also feel like it's, it can be viewed as however you'd like to view it as. I mean, the truth is... Most of this region, if we're being frank, right. migrated from Kentucky. That's exactly right. Because they're looking for better, better opportunities. That's why better, I, I never jobs. thought of it in any form or fashion using it in a derogatory manner. I never have thought that. Right. Now, but now that I hear your point of view, I respect that. And I will not use that again as a non-Hamilton resident. Right. I've, uh, I've heard people use it derogatorily towards Hamilton, which is what kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Okay. So. I think, right. yeah, it all depends on how it comes off for right. other people. But I, I don't think that uh, saying that I'm from Kentucky, which I'm not, but if you want to say it's Hamiltucky, I would say that that's, I mean, that's the vast majority of Cincinnati. So mm -hmm. it don't, I don't find it offensive. Okay. And maybe well, it's, it's a beautiful day in Hamilton, Ohio. There you go. There Fair enough. Fair enough? Fair enough. Okay. So if I Sean Miller is anybody a big on that though. deal, I am very, very sorry. I did not mean it. You don't, you don't need We're to not apologize. doing this. You don't need to apologize. And you know who else doesn't need to apologize? Tiger Woods. You no want to talk doubt. about that? No what doubt. are we doing in this world? That Go is to Substack.com and look up the morning line, okay? Paul Doherty admittedly is, you know, very much on the liberal side of the woke world kind of thing, if you will. But even he had some unbelievable examples of writers out there that have just lost their mind mm -hmm. over this Tiger Woods. It's, it's an old school, just boys sort of joke, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, is this where we are now? It is why. I agree. And it's 100%. like, all you're doing is essentially, is it, I, I guess I can understand a little bit of the logic of why that would be like when I say offensive, I mean like maybe 0.001% offensive, but you're just stating that they're not as strong as you are, which newsflash biologically men are stronger than women when it comes to just physical strength. I'm not talking about mental. I'm not talking about being tough. My wife's tougher than me, but I'm saying just if we went to hit golf balls, Tom, 
it's not hard for me to hit a golf ball farther than my wife. That's what the joke is. Am I missing something? No, I, I just I just think that it, it, Lord knows there are so many things to be worried about in this world, and that is nowhere close to being one of 100%. them. And that got unbelievable amounts of public when there's so much other stuff going on. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. All right, you boys are getting to all of it here today. So uh, it is time for box lunch on this February the 20th, year of our Lord 2023. Casey, Paul, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank all right, you, Tom. boys, here we go. Box lunch. <laughs>